Hello, and welcome to Right Care Baptist. Today, Henry and I are with Greg Jenkins, and we're going to talk to you about lung cancer screening. Greg, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Greg, can you just tell us a little bit about your, your background and, and your practice? Yes, I'm a general internist. I've actually been practicing at Baptist for about 30 years, came here as an intern in 1986, and I've just been here ever since. Well, it's great to have you on the show. Henry, do you want to kick us off? Well, yeah, Greg, we really appreciate it. I think today we're going to talk about just uh, low-dose CT scanning for, for lung cancer and why that is a new initiative for us. First, can you tell us a little bit, Greg, about the screen for cancer, where we've been and, and where we are now, and why do we need to why do we need to have this discussion today? Well, it's particularly important for us in this part of the country when you realize that we have the highest incidence of new lung cancers than any other region in the United States. We also have the highest mortality related to that. Uh, lung cancer is still the leading cause of cancer death. In fact, if you add prostate, breast, colon, and pancreas cancers all together, we still have more deaths from lung cancer than all of those combined. So it's, it's important that we screen uh, for lung cancer because it is such a common killer. Who should be Greg? I mean, so so I know that we're in a we're in a risk strata where, where we live, but but what are some of the screening criteria, and and how do we get to that point? How do, how, do, how do we develop the screening criteria? Well, currently, it's recommended that individuals that are 55 to 80 years of age who have smoked for 30 years or more, and if they're a current smoker or if they've stopped within the last 15 years, it's recommended that those individuals be screened for lung cancer. Uh, those individuals have been determined at a to be at a higher risk for lung cancer. So a 30-pack year smoking history, uh, even though you may have quit. Correct, within the last 15 years, which just brings up the point that the lungs take a very long time to repair. So it's at least 15 years before the lung cancer incidence goes back to that of a non-smoker. That is 15 years after you stop smoking until the lungs, uh, until you're back at the risk of, of a non-smoker, basically. You know, a lot of people are familiar with, you know, colon cancer screening, uh, breast cancer screening, cervical cancer, and so on. Um, screening for lung cancer is, is fairly recent uh, advice that came out from the uh, U.S. Preventative Services Task Force. How are we doing with regards to the number of individuals that are eligible to be screened uh, and what we're actually doing? Yeah, uh, interestingly, um, we used to do chest x-rays every year on individuals, and we thought that was helping us screen for lung cancer, but data suggested that you could do a, a chest x-ray every three months, and still you could miss an invasive lung cancer at a three-month film that was not seen on an earlier uh, x-ray. So now we're doing the low-dose CTs, which gives you less radiation than a regular CAT scan, and uh, the U.S. Preventative uh, Task Services, as you alluded to, put out the criteria in 2013 that we currently go by. Uh, for screening for lung cancer. So we're able to find cancers earlier that are um, more likely to be cured. Uh, for instance, in one uh, study that I saw, uh, the mortality rate or the five-year survival, if you will, for lung cancer uh, at five years was only 5% in usual care, but using low-dose CT scans, the five-year survival has gotten to about 70% because we're finding smaller cancers that are curable. Do you know, that, Greg, I mean, how small the nodules or the findings at low-dose CT? Do you know how, how low the resolution will go? 
uh, interesting. The uh, the criteria basically, you know, for a nodule versus a mass, it has to be greater than six centimeters to call it a nodule officially. If it gets to be 30 uh, millimeters, that is three centimeters, then it's not a nodule any longer, it's a mass. So the low dose CTs can pick up those nodules as, as small as four to six millimeters in size. Pulmonary nodule, that small, and for, for most of our listeners, most all of them are physicians or, or healthcare providers, and they, right. they're familiar with the metric scale, but for those that are perhaps not, that's less than a quarter of an inch in size. Right. So that something right. millimeter in size. So, Greg, how then does one get to that nodule, uh, given it that small size, to, to be able to biopsy that, to sample that, a tissue sample? Well, a nodule that small is difficult to biopsy. It's generally accepted that a, a, a nodule that's less than 10 millimeters or one centimeter is difficult to biopsy that. There are a lot of approaches now depending on where the nodule is and what the characteristics of the nodule are. And that may be something important for us to talk about is when you find a nodule, what do you do with that nodule? And um, fortunately, we now have a uh, classification system called the LUNGRADS system, and that has, uh, believe it or not, somewhat simplified follow-up of nodules. And there's the Fleischner criteria, and there's several other criteria, but we can talk about LUNGRADS a bit if you want to, or we can save that for later. Yeah, let's go into that. So why don't we kind of go through just what the typical workflow would be like. So you have a patient that comes into your clinic and, and meets the criteria. You know, they're 60, or 60 years old and they've been smoking for you know, 30 years, um, and you order um, a low dose CT on that patient. And, you know, what is what is kind of the, the workflow for how you do that? And then what do you wait on from the radiologist, I guess, uh, as far as the results come back? What does that look like? Well, when you decide to uh, order the scan based on the criteria, uh, the next step is to engage in shared decision making. And this is a very important part of the whole process. It is you need to determine if the patient is not only only eligible for the LDCT, the low dose CT scan, but uh, are they willing to um, undergo therapy for cancer if you find it? Are they physically able to undergo therapy if you find something? Are they willing to uh, continue to have these scans on an annual basis? Because as we mentioned earlier, we're basically committing these folks to a low dose CT scan annually for. Uh, 15 years after they stop smoking. But one of the most important parts of shared decision making is smoking cessation or maintenance of abstinence. So that's an important part of that is a counseling process. In fact, CMS requires shared decision making with the initial low dose CT scan. They require documentation of that, and they also require that that documentation be attached to the order. So shared decision-making is an extremely important part of that. It's not required on years two and above, but on uh, the first year it is required. Is it required that the patient actually stop smoking uh, in order to do the low-dose CT, or in order to do the lung cancer screening? Or can the patient continue to smoke dur during this entire, I guess, years of, of, of screening? They can continue to smoke. The, uh, the requirement is that we counsel them on the uh, reasons for stopping smoking and try to reinforce that. We all reinforce that on an annual basis, but the documentation as far as CMS is concerned is only necessary the first year. 
And while we're talking about CMS, since the national lung screening trial was actually ages 55 to 74, that's what CMS actually pays for, even though USPSTF says up to age 80. So just be aware of that. Gotcha. And then they also had a recent recommendation of decreasing that age from 55 to 50 as well. Is that right? That's, that's right. Not only reducing the age from 55 to 50, but also uh, reducing the number of pack years down to 20 pack years. So 20 pack years, 50 and up, um, qualifies you for a low-dose CT. Those recommendations have not been adopted yet. The uh, time for uh, public comment has passed, and we're waiting to hear from the USPSTF about those recommendations. Uh, which hopefully will be forthcoming soon. An important point about screening, too, is even though we have, you know, the National Lung Cancer Screening Trial was based on age, basically, within that group, there's, you know, a variation of risk. If you have had someone who has only smoked just 30 packs a year, 30 pack years and they stopped 10 years ago, their risk is less than someone who has smoked, you know, four packs a day for, for 10 years or more. So there's some stratification within that. That was not taken into account in the National Lung Cancer Screening Trial. And uh, you might also note that the lung RADs were not implemented until after the National Lung Cancer Screening Trial either. So they've tried to retrofit that information and see how the results would have been different using the lung RADs categories. Gotcha. So you got somebody in your clinic, they qualify, you've done the shared decision-making, you've done the tobacco cessation counseling, uh, they go, you place the order, they get the, the low-dose CT, and you get a result back. Um, what does that look like yeah, as far as long rats goes? What, what sort of scoring system is this and what does it mean? Well, it's basically... Uh, uh... It's basically a four-tiered system. Uh, lung RADS 1 and Lung RADS 2 are, are low risk and generally a recommended follow-up for those folks is uh, follow-up scans in, at some time in the future. The uh, Lung RADS 1 and 2, generally those are referred back to the primary care doc, if you will, for that evaluation. Interestingly, nationally, and if you look at the number of individuals who come back for their second scan, is about 40%. So we're trying to improve that here by adding that in care gaps. So if there are lung rads one or two, basically that falls into health maintenance, goes into the care gaps, and hopefully gets picked up by the provider or the clinician the next year. Now, if there are lung rads three or four, uh, lung rads three is probably benign, and usually a six-month follow-up scan is recommended. Lung rads four, uh, is suspicious, and at least a three-month CT is recommended, maybe a PET scan, depending on other characteristics as well. You know, I, I understand that the American Board of Internal Medicine and all the step exams just got really excited when all this came out, because I remember having to memorize all these follow-up criteria and scores for colon cancer and breast cancer screening. Now, now we're going to have to learn lung cancer screening. Um, right. But they do have this really nice table on there and it breaks it down, you know, categories based on risk. And so, as you were saying, you know, there's a one and two, which had their benign or negative mostly, and uh, the risk of it actually turning into cancer is less than 1%. Category three, probably benign, but still has a one to 2% risk of lung, turning into lung cancer. And then category four, is it subdivided into A and B? Is that what I saw? 
Yeah, yes, there's A and B. Uh, a is suspicious, where the risk is estimated to be, to be between 5 and 15 percent, and a three-month follow-up is uh, recommended. 4B is where the risk is greater than 15 percent, and a uh, chest CT, a full chest CT, and tissue sampling is generally recommended at that point if they are a lung rads 3 or 4. Gotcha. So if you had somebody that came in and they had a 4B, you would refer them to a CT guided biopsy or something. Right. That's right. That's exactly right. And fortunately, with our multidisciplinary clinic, that it, that process is is really simplified. We do have within the uh, system the ability to refer lung grads three and four to uh, the nodule clinic if that's something we choose to do as a clinician. Gotcha. And they can also indicate if they find other things besides nodules on there. And, and so what, what sort of other things have you seen uh, since you started doing this? And, and do they use that other other clinically significant findings option much? They do put that on the reports fairly often, usually more in words than in the uh, actual lung rads category. But I think far and away the most common sort of incidental finding I see is cardiac calcifications. And so that does lead you on to ask more questions if they're particularly if they're asymptomatic from the cardiac standpoint. And uh, I've had cases where that has led me to uh, stress testing that has led to intervention. So sometimes those other incidental findings are important things to find, as in that case. But you know, sometimes you'll find a thyroid nodule. That's probably fairly common as well. Uh, if you find an aortic aneurysm, you're glad you did the test. And I uh, actually have found one of those on the low-dose CT as well. So there are a number of things that you find uh, on these. Are there any risks or any concerns you have about low-dose CT scanning, Greg? Any reservations you have about it? Well, there, you know, there are some. There are the false positives. Uh, you find a nodule, and you go through the entire process, and it turns out that the process that the uh, nodule that you found was benign. So you've subjected the patient to the radiation, to the scan, to the biopsy, to the therapy for a benign nodule, and that, that certainly can happen. And in the National Lung Cancer Screening Trial that we talked about, uh, one in, if you do 320 scans, you'll, find one, you'll save one life. So the number needed to screen to save one life is 320. And in, uh, in the Nelson trial, uh, it was one in 130. But just for some comparisons for mammography, it's 476 mammograms to save a life, colonoscopy, 1,250 colonoscopies to save a life. For the FIT test, it's around 600 to save a life. So if you look at the other lung cancer screenings that, are, uh, that we've adopted and are you know, ingrained into things that we do, uh, low dose CT actually stands up pretty nicely in terms of number needed to screen. Yeah, I was unaware of that. That's a, that's a fairly low, fairly low threshold then for for uh, return. Yes, but it does. It is important that we are very careful with how we approach the low dose CTs and how we, you know, administer this and go through the process because it, there are harms to it, as we have alluded to. So that makes it imperative that we're very careful about who we select, that we make certain that that they follow up on their scans and they get the necessary therapy because we could end up, you know, harming someone if we don't apply these guidelines and rules appropriately. Craig, there are other things which are rather endemic to our area, such as histoplasmosis. So these other, are these uh, confusing diagnoses that, that sometimes will be picked up at a low-dose CT that can sometimes lead you down the path of a false positive? 
Absolutely, and particularly in this part of the country. But I think our radiologists are pretty good at helping us figure that out. Uh, I have not seen a real problem with that particular diagnosis, honestly. So what has your experience been with it so far? Are patients taking it up or most passing on it, or how's it gone? Uh, most are taking it up. And honestly, now that we have it in the EPIC medical record, it appears on my chart, and I have patients asking me about it when they come in because they've seen it on their, uh, on their my chart message. And so it's, uh, it's really, uh, if I can say it this way, it's a fairly easy sell because folks who smoke, in the back of their minds, they're, they're always concerned about this, whether they want to admit that or not. And when you let them know that this is a way of screening, finding it early, and is much better than a chest x-ray, uh, most are open to doing it. I, I would say way more often than not, the patients are open to screening as opposed to not. Have you picked up any cases thus far using low-dose CT? My personal experience, yes. I have actually found seven cancers using LDCT, and six, uh, six have survived. Uh, one of them, interestingly, I found on year three, which mm -hmm. emphasizes the point that you do need to do the annual CTs. This is really, I guess, relatively a new concept, but the USPSTF approved this in 2013. So when they approve something, it takes a year. Uh, you, the insurance companies have a year before they're required to start paying for it. So it was at the end of 2014, early 15, that we've really started doing these. But there's an entire um, process. American College of Radiology requires uh, a number of things in the order, and uh, they also require a number of things in terms of follow-up to try to ensure that these folks are not lost to follow-up. So it took some time to actually build out the entire program. So as clinicians, we were ready to rush out and start doing LDCTs on everyone, but it took a little time for the system to sort of catch up, and that's not really a, a negative, it's just it's a lot of work that had to be done uh, for the system to get to the relatively mature place that it is today. Another interesting thing is uh, we mentioned the uh, number of lung cancers in this part of the country. We have more smokers in this part of the country than any other part of the country, but interestingly, we have more low-dose CT certified programs in the southeastern United States as well. Nearly 40% of the certified centers are in the southeast. The screening rates in the southeastern United States is 1.7%. So we've got 38% of the smokers, 40% of the scanners, and 1.7% of our folks are getting screened. So there is a dire need to get the message out and to get these scans done. And, and that's that's one percent of eligible patients. Right. That's screen. correct. That's correct. And and you mentioned getting it built out into Epic and everything, and, and that just happened over the last year. Um, and I know it was delayed some because of the pandemic. At least right. some of the, the features, though. You've been that's been fully kind of operational since was it early summer or was yeah, it? And it was in June that that went live. But there was a lot of other things taking the attention of healthcare folks in June. Right. Just, just from my um, former work, uh, the one thing that we always worried about with pap smears is loss to follow-up or the pap smear, back to your point, the pap smear that does show cervical cancer. And it, it, they were very, very few and very rare by the end of my career, thanks to the vaccine. Um, but the one thing we always worried about was someone being lost to follow-up. And I think that's back to your point about making sure that if you get it, though, you have to make sure everything is in place, that you continue this annual 
cadence or whatever the frequency may, may be if you have a suspicious yes. nodule sooner than that. Is that, right. is that the point you're making? Yes, that's exactly correct. In fact, if your lung rad's one or two, uh, the way we've built it in Epic is you automatically get a care gap notification in 11 months, and the patient gets a message through my chart as well. So you have those two opportunities. The third opportunity is the documentation through the imaging center that the ACR requires. And then a fourth is the safety net, and we haven't talked about the safety net, but that's really the lung nodule program at Baptist that has been highly effective. And that's sort of the final safety net. If they get a scan anywhere in the system and there's something suspicious, it's going to go through that program. So that's a great Swiss cheese phenomenon. So really no one should fall through uh, the hole, uh, and not be not be picked up and not be followed up with. That's the hope, yes. Yeah, okay. And Greg, I don't know if we touched on this, but when do you stop screening patients? That's a very good question. Uh, and with regard to screening, even though we have these guidelines, we know when CMS pays for this, if you feel like someone needs it outside of those guidelines, certainly you can order that. We talk about you know the, the 55 to 74, but someone's 45 and they've got a you know 50 pack year smoking history or whatever. But on the other side, it's basically until they what's recommended is you stop screening when they have not smoked for 15 years or they develop some other abnormality that's going to shorten their life. Basically, if they have some other intervening medical illness that decreases their expected lifespan, you could stop at that point as well. Uh, those are the major ones, is uh, the passage of time and other medical illness. Well, Greg, I've, I've definitely learned a lot um, about this program and, and the new recommendations that are coming out. Um, do you have any closing comments for the medical staff on, on low-dose CT screening and lung cancer screening in general? The main thing is just to, to pay attention and to order these. We have a, a, a best practice advisory set up in EPIC that fires any time a patient is seen anywhere in the system across the region. So if you see the alert for a low-dose CT in the left hand on the storyboard on the left side, please don't pass that by. Please take the time to click on that BPA and follow that through because that well may be the one that saves a life. Greg, we really appreciate you spending some time with us today and, and teaching us all a little bit more about our opportunity around low-dose CT scanning, detecting these cancers early. It looks like this is going to be a great step, frankly, to saving many lives. So appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to spend a little bit of time with us and all those who, who listen in to our, our podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you, everybody, for listening to Right Care Baptist. Remember, if you go to the show notes at the bottom of the podcast episode, you can find the link to the CME survey. So you can get the credit for listening to this episode. Also, I'd like to thank Hank Sullivan for the intro and exit music for today. Thank you.